0: Morning. I'm coming to you from my office here at the house. Due to the weather and the snow and the cold, we decided to cancel service, of course, this morning and also the prayer service tonight. As a reminder, the prayer service has been moved to next Sunday night at the same time, at 6 o'clock. Also, on behalf of Rashana, you thank you those who uh, contributed to the meal last night. I know that not everyone came out, but I'm sure. There's a lot to go, Neal, so thank you for supporting the youth as they're looking to do things this spring and summer. Now, by the way, there is an outline available to this message. It's available on our sermon page. Go to ministries, go to sermons, and there is a PDF that you can pull up to follow along. Also, I send one out on Facebook, Twitter. And Instagram as well, links to get that information. Usually I put it out before now, but because we canceled service, decided to do it this morning. Of course, our message this morning is the perfect bond of unity, Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 17. It's only fitting that the day being Valentine's Day that we look at a message about love. Interesting enough, as I was working through the book, I uh, didn't really pay attention to the dates very much just trying to break down the book and chapters and verses and so happens that God in his providence has decided this would be the text for today and it dawned on me about three weeks ago hey that's Valentine's Day that's pretty cool so God in his timing has this. Uh, thank you for being with us live streaming um, I hope everyone's having a good week I hope that everyone's staying warm and stay safe uh, they're saying the world is going to continue to deteriorate so Uh, stay home if you can, stay warm, stay safe, pray for those who have to travel. As many as you know, there was a horrible accident in Fort Worth not too long ago. We need to pray for those individuals. We need to continue to pray for our country and for each other and for our schools. A lot of things are happening. So before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we can come together not face-to-face, but because of technology, we can come still in spirit and to gather around your word and to read it, to study it, and apply it. Father, I thank you for everyone who is joining me this morning, everybody, in the sound of my voice. I pray, to God, you will keep them safe and keep them warm. We thank you for all things, but most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. In his name we pray. Amen. Once again, thank you for being here. And if you have your Bibles in front of you, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And bear with me a moment as I'm going to share this and invite people to join with me on my page, post it to my uh on my facebook so people can follow along with us so our text is colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 17 and of course our title is the perfect bond of unity there was a cartoon one of my favorite cartoons was the peanuts and it was by charles Sh- uh, schultz in this particular cartoon lucy comes in linus is watching tv and she demands that he turns the tv channel and uh He goes, well, what makes you think you come in here and just take over and demand that I turn the TV? And she said, these five fingers, individually, they are nothing. However, when I curl them together into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. And, of course, Linus immediately responds by saying, well, which TV channel would you like me to turn it to? And as he walks away, after turning the TV, he walks away, he looks at his five fingers and says, Hey, guys, how come you cannot get uh, in line like that? How come you guys can't get organized like that? You know, what is the key to harmony in the church? The kilesia, the the called out ones. What's the key to being Christ-like in our character and attitude towards one another? What's the key to being productive in ministry? And ministry to the word to one another. What's the key to being motivated by a desire to please the Lord in everything? And what is the key to being thankful throughout the entire process? I would point you to verse 14. It has the answer. It says, love is the perfect bond of unity. And we find it's not the first word in our English translations, but in the Greek, the very first word is put on. That word also means to dress or to clothe. The Colossian Christians had already put on the new self. And now they're being told to put on specific characteristics or habits. Put these things in your place that are reflective of a Christian. Because if you don't replace your old habits, your old bad habits, if you will, with good habits, those bad habits can come back just as easy and take over. There's no change. Interesting enough... I came across an article in um, Psychology Today, an article entitled, How to Change Unhealthy or Bad Habits. They said they don't use bad habits anymore because bad is too judgmental, so we have to use unhealthy habits. But in that article, they define habits as things we are so used to that they become our default even when we know better. So when life squeezes us, we have that pressure. A lot of times we go back to those because we, we're used to them. We're so used to doing them, even when we know what's better to do. And in the article, they identified 10 or more steps to change unhealthy habits. Number four, listen to this. Quote, choose something to replace the unhealthy habit. Just willing yourself to change isn't enough because it does not address the underlying benefit Of the behavior you want to replace. We have to put on the new self as Christians. We must learn to act like it. And that requires new patterns of behavior, new habits to replace the old ones. It requires discipline and it requires the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It requires love. And one of the best places in Scripture to get a description of love is found in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read just a few verses from 1 Corinthians 13, but remember the context of that chapter. Paul's talking about all these things, all these gifts that you can have, but he says, look, love is the greatest gift of all, and he spends that whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, describing what love is. Starting in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, love does not brag, it is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails, but now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. So love is the perfect bond of unity, hence the name of the message this morning. So let's look at our text, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Although it's translated long-suffering. It's not just a short time of patience, it's long suffering. Bearing with one another, or accepting one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint or grievance against anyone, and here comes a qualifier, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are indeed, you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's go back to where he started in verse 3. Therefore, or so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. And there's that word, put on. And that's an imperative. It's a command. It's the aorist tense, which means it's a decisive initial act. You have to take an initiative, and do this, to put on these things. It's a settled attitude about it. They are to be clothed with these qualities, prededicated by Christ. Look what he describes them as, chosen of God, holy and beloved. That's how Israel was described back in the Old Testament as God's own possession. Now it's being used to describe them. And we find in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And that describes us as Christians. We are this chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Holy means to be separate, devoted to one thing. So we do things different. We say we love. We don't love as the world loves. We love as God loves us. And when we say we forgive, we don't forgive as the world forgives, but we forgive just as God has forgiven us. So after he says that, talking about who they are, he describes them, gives them an identity of who they are. He tells them, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. A heart of compassion, literally bowels of compassion. The New King James states tender mercies, or the New Living Translation tender-hearted mercy. Now, those bowels of compassion, this tender-hearted mercy, this heart of compassion, those bowels in the ancient times are understood as the seat of emotions, just as we use the heart today. That's the seat of our emotions. And God has acted graciously and compassionately on behalf of his people. And we are to act graciously and compassionately to people just as God has been that way to us. And, by the way, continues to do so. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart... Literally inward parts against him. How does the love of God abide in him? In other words, if I see someone in need, I can meet that need, but I decide to do nothing about it. Then how can the love of God abide in me? Because when God saw my greatest need, my salvation and forgiveness of sins, he just didn't walk by. He did something about it. He acted graciously and acted compassionately on my behalf and on your behalf to do something about it. Therefore, when we see something that needs to be addressed, we step in and take care of it. And I want to say that since I've been at Forestbrook Baptist, I've seen that happen. We identify a need in the community and we meet it to the best of our ability. He talks about kindness, being sympathetic, if you will, God's gracious attitude and how he acted towards sinners and how he continues to act towards sinners. See God desires the salvation of sinners, not the not his or her death. He wants sinners to come to repentance, and as a response to God's kindness, you and I are to show kindness to other people, Romans chapter two verse four or do you not think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, that kindness of God. The grace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, led us to repentance when we came to Him, knowing that we uh, deserved His full wrath and punishment for sin. He acted graciously towards us with loving and mercy and forgiveness through His Son. That that sacrifice, we can experience those things. That's what draws us to the, to Him, and we act kind to other people and to each other. That. That draws people. I mean, when you're kind and you're sympathetic, that's going to draw people. What's the first thing people usually say? Oh, he's really or she's really kind. You you really like this person. That kindness draws people. And as you draw those people in with this kindness and this sympathy, then you can tell them, look, even I don't know you, I want to be kind towards you. I want to love you because God loves you. It opens up the door to share the gospel. Humility is another one he says to put on signifies the grace of lowliness and humbleness. Jesus in the Gospels time and time again invite people to come to him because he is one who is meek and lowly in heart. If you go back to Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 11, you'll see that Jesus humbled himself. And that whole context of Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus humbled himself. First, he stepped out of heaven, took on human flesh. He humbled himself in that instance. Number two, he humbled himself not only to take on human flesh, but to take a form of a servant. He went around to serve people, not to be served. And then he humbled himself again by dying on the cross. And as people who walk with God or proclaim to walk and walk with God, we must humble ourselves. And just because, you know, the gospel, if you look at it, Jesus humbled himself in all those stages. And then God highly exalted him. And Jesus tells us those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. He talks about putting on gentleness, or as New King James says, meekness. And it has much in common with patience. Now this is not to be confused with weakness of any sort. What it implies is the will- the willingness and consideration for other people to waive your own right. In other words, you could have every reason in the world to be mad or to be upset with an individual, but because you are gentle, you waive that right. You say, I'll let it, I'll it left to God to take care of this. This is consideration for the people, which ties in with the next one. Patience or long-suffering. It endures wrong and puts up with exasperating infuriating and knowing conduct. Endurance happens instead of flying off into a rage or desiring vengeance. 2 Peter 3.9, I mean, if anyone has any just cause to be mad at us and want to, to uh, pour out rage and wrath, it would be God. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness. You know, he, he's not putting stuff off to be slow. Why hasn't he sent his son back? It says right here, but is patient. He's long-suffering towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but to all come to repentance. Just because God hasn't sent his son back doesn't mean he's slow, he's forgotten, but he's very patient. He's very long-suffering, not wanting anyone to perish, but to all to come to repentance. Look back into our text, he says, bearing with one, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. This bearing or putting it up with is to be continual, ongoing. It speaks to the practice of all those things we just talked about: humbleness and meekness and gentleness and heart of compassion and so forth. It calls to believers to a high standard of personal action when offended. Putting up with others is even when they fail or act differently from what is expected. Forgiving is to be unceasing. There is to be no limitations. And look what he says. Forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. The NIV renders it this way. Whatever grievances you might have against one another. Now he's recognizing this is going to happen in a congregation. But it's it's speaking to the the offended party, not the one who who did the offending, but the person who's been offended. The person who's been offended should take the initiative in enduring and forgiving, rather than waiting for the person who did that, to come to them and apologize. Because harboring resentment and ill will toward another does little good. Anyone can hold grudges. Anyone can do that. But Christians, we do not do that. That is a mark of being a follower of Christ. You do not hold grudges. You forgive. What did 1 Corinthians talk about? Not taking account a wrong suffered. We do not keep score. Why is that? Because our Father in Heaven does not keep score. When you ask for forgiveness, you confess it and you repent it with genuine repentance. He forgives it. He never brings it up again. When you forgive somebody, it means you're not going to hold that over that person's head anymore. If you have a problem forgetting it, that's between you and God. But to forgive somebody is really letting yourself go. It does more for you than it does for the person you're forgiving. Because that forgiveness, unforgiveness will build up in hate and cause all sorts of problems. And he says in our text, look back in it, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. God's mighty work of reconciliation is the basis for our forgiveness. Those who seek God for forgiveness must be ready to forgive. Now, human forgiveness does not earn divine favor, but an unforgiving spirit is a barrier to receiving God's forgiveness. We go to God and expect God to forgive us. When I think about everything God's forgiven me of, and will forgive me of in the future, because Christ's atoning sacrifice covers all my sins in the past, the present, and any sins I may do in the future. If he forgives me of all that, then how can I be mad at my brother or sister and harbor that unforgiveness? It may not come easy, but I just can't just gloss over it. I have to work through that to be a true disciple of Christ. And he talks about all these qualities and how they play out in your life. And he says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. Love is the thing that holds all these together, the bonding agent, if you will. In other words, as you put on, put on these new characteristics, like you put on a new self, you put on these new clothes, these new characteristics, on top of everything else, you put on love. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Luke chapter 10 verses 30 through 36 answers the question of who your neighbor is. In Luke's account, it talks about how a lawyer wishing to uh, justify himself, asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And we talked about this last week, the Good Samaritan. He told that parable. This guy went down this notorious road where people were robbed and killed. This is a bad place to go, the road to Jericho. This guy Goes down this road. He gets mugged and he's beat up. and He's left on the side of the road for dead. And a a priest walks by. One who knows the law very well. Not only does he just pass by, but he goes way on the other side. Doesn't stop. Nothing. Then comes a Levite. He worked with the priest. He should know better. He sees the guy laying there and he actually needs help. He doesn't stop. He goes way on by. He talks about a Samaritan. If you go back and look at Israel's history, after the kingdom divided, after King Solomon, people intermarried, and there's a lot of hard feelings. They didn't like each other very much. It's no different than what we see racism in our country today, how people feel against different races. It was just a lot of built-up anger and and downright hatred almost. And so when Jesus talked about the Samaritan coming, you could just hear all the Jewish people, because he was speaking to Jewish people, a Samaritan, one of those dirty old people. Samaritan only stopped and attended to the guy, but he put him on his horse or his donkey and took him to the next place and told the guy, you do whatever is necessary to nurse this guy back to health and I'll be back to square the account. So in other words, who's our neighbor? Everyone's our neighbor. People who don't look like us, people who don't live where we live, everybody is to be our neighbor. We are to love the Lord our God with everything that we have. And the second commandment is to love our neighbor as ourself. Love unites and binds together everything that we have previously talked about. It binds and unites the members of the congregation together and it edifies. It builds up. Think about the billows that you blow into your fireplace. Perhaps you have a fire going this morning and you poke it and you take those billows and you blow on it. That's what it means to stoke up, to edify, to build up. That's what love does. And he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. The peace that Christ imparts must control our relations with one another. Uh, in other words, rule or act like an umpire. An umpire. Uh, an umpire. Uh, Jesus had peace during his trial. He looked up to the righteous judge. Uh, you look at jo- uh, John chapter 19, verse 10 and following. Pilate says to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you and Jesus answered you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above in other words look I'm leaving up to the rights to judge he's the one to let you have the authority the only authority you have over my life is what my father allows you to have and that's how we need to look at as Christians I have to be very careful here I think you know let me rephrase I believe you need to be good citizens of this country and take it interest in the in the political sphere as far as voting and being an in the form of voter but remember god has allowed president biden into the white house he allows people to sit in power and they will be held accountable for what they do i told a person last week there is no difference between you and i as far as standing before god the thing is as a pastor god's going to hold me more accountable Because of position he's allowed me in. Not because I'm better than you. It says he has allowed me into a high position of being a pastor. and Therefore, he's going to hold me accountable for that. So just let that, when things are going nuts, and just face it, 2020 and now 2021 don't seem to be going any better. There's a lot of confusion and chaos. Let that peace of Christ rule over. It doesn't mean you just sit back and don't care. But at the end of the day, you just have a peace about it, knowing that God is still on his throne. And let me tell you something. When you really let that flow out in your life, people are going to be attracted to that. You're kind to them. You see all this patience and kindness. You see you have this peace. Well, don't you freak out? Yeah, I freak out at certain things. But overall, this peace of Christ, because I know who's sitting on the throne. I know the end of the story. I know how it's all going to turn out. This is not all there is. and You can tell them about that hope that you have. A sure, steadfast hope. God has not called them to strife, but to peace in the unity of the body of Christ. We are reconciled with God and enjoy peace with God through Christ. Therefore, we should live in peace with one another. You cannot do all this, as I pointed out in the introduction, without Christ. Christ gives you that peace. Without that peace, without that relationship, you can't have peace with God. I cannot stress this enough. If you don't have peace with God, your vertical relationship is... Impossible to have true peace horizontally with your fellow man, and a church who does not have peace with God the Father cannot really have peace among it. So the first place it starts with is in the individual believer. If there's strife in the church, if there's problems in the church, we must allow God to put a mirror up to us, and then as we address those issues, then come together as a body of Christ and and edify each other as we look up towards God. Look what he says, and be thankful, show yourselves thankful. Our behavior can be viewed as a response of gratitude towards God's grace. If all humanity owes him thanks, God thanks for creation and his providence. In other words, God lets it rain on the just and the unjust. He takes care of his creation. He commanded the sun to rise. He's in control of everything. If General man, if all mankind, if all humanity owes their existence to God, then how much more is due from those who have received his grace like you and I? Romans chapter 1, verse 21, the beginning of that verse, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him or as God or give thanks. We need to be thankful for every day that we have on this earth. We need to be thankful for the life that we have. We need to be thankful that we have received the gospel. Our eyes have been opened. We know the truth. And because we know the truth, we need to live it out. And that will draw people to us. And we can tell them about who God is, the difference that he makes in our lives. He goes on to say, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Of course, Christian teaching is based upon the teaching of Christ himself. Dwell richly. In our hearts, in our fellowship with another, bow in submission to its authority and assimilate its lessons into our lives. We can hear it, we can study it, we need to do that, but we need to put it into practice in our daily lives. Put it into operation. In other words, changing those bad habits that we put on the new self, a new creation that tells us, In Christ, now we need to work on those habits, replace all those bad things we used to do and replace them with these things. A heart of compassion, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, mercy, so on and so forth. He says, teaching and admonishing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, singing can be edification, mutual edification to each other and praise to God himself. For example, hymn number 407, Because He Lives is horizontal. As you look at the words of that hymn, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all my fear is gone. So we are we are testifying through song. 1, another, because he lives is how I press him. We look at hymn number 469, Revive Us Again. That's more vertical, because we're asking God, God, revive us again. Revive us again. We, we need you to revive and stir that fire within us again. Voice must express the heart If it's really to be addressed to God and singing must be done with the spirit of thankfulness. In other words, if it's not coming from the heart, we can have a we can have a a nine piece orchestra. We can be singing with no instruments at all. We can be singing with a great voice. Maybe we don't have a very good voice. But the point is, hear me well, if it's not coming from the heart as an attitude of gratitude and graciousness to God, then it doesn't mean anything. Once again, we find that issue that Paul keeps addressing in the book of Colossians. It's not just the behavior or the attitude of the habits that are important, but it's what's driving that, the foundation is built on it. He's making a point through the whole text. You put on these things because we are to follow Christ's example. And these are the very things that Christ put out for us as he came to this earth. Whatever you do in word and deed, he says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are to grow and mature in our relationship with the Lord. That's called sanctification. We should know how to ask and discern God's will for our lives. And in other words, we should not need a list of do's and don'ts. How do you know God's will? Well, you read his word. You pray. You, you join a local church. You ask other believers. God will do all this. Sometimes we need to fast, and fasting usually is food, but it could be fasting from anything, so we can make focus on what God's talking about. So do you spend time with God outside church? Do you do you have a local uh, a, a private devotional that you do? We provide on our website, but there's many out there. Make that a part of your daily life. And I would recommend for you to journal because as you journal, you will go back. You know, a month from now, six months from now, go, wow, look, I pray for this guy. It reminds you. And it's physical, tangible evidence. You can go back and see how God is moving in your life because God's always acting and moving in your life. And we need to ask ourselves, can I do this particular thing in the name of the Lord Jesus? Because his reputation is at stake and God is very jealous and protective of his name. And that's one of the things Moses said to him when they came out of Israel. God was getting upset. Moses said, hey, wait a second. What are they going to say about you? You brought these people out just to kill them. God acted because of his name was at stake. And we have to remember that we are his ambassadors. We represent all the power and the authority of the kingdom of heaven. We need to act as such. We are. You are, if you're a believer in Christ, the people of God. You're chosen by Him. You're holy and beloved. Do you have a heart of compassion and kindness? Do you have a heart of humility, gentleness, and patience? Do you, do we put up with each other or do we bear each other? Do you or do we forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us? Love is the perfect bond of unity. It unites and binds all of these characteristics the love, the gentleness, what binds us together, the gentleness, the mercy, and compassion with the peace and word of Christ. Christ is our pattern, our model, our guide, and our blueprint. So, the first thing you have to ask yourself. Do you have a relationship with him and isn't evident in your life? doesn't mean you're perfect, but can people say there's a difference in you? And remember, any difference you see in me or any true follower of Christ is not because of him or her by themselves. It's because of the Holy Spirit living in them, giving them this, the, the knowledge and the power to able to live out that life. So you are not called to live out a natural life. You and I are called out to live a supernatural life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Have we surrendered but not submitted? There is a difference. We can surrender and give your life. You say, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to Christ for salvation, but have you truly submitted your life to his Lordship? Are you doing everything he's asking you to do? See, we, we talk about we have a friend in Jesus. Uh, he's my savior. He's kind of my best friend. But is he your Lord? Because you said why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I've asked you to do? You cannot separate him being Savior from him being Lord. He is both and. To come to him as Savior is also to come to him as Lord. That means you submit to his authority and to his Lordship. Is all of this evidence in the local body of Christ known as Forestburg Baptist Church? After all, uh, motto is living by faith, known by love. Are we really known by that? And I want to encourage you as I close out yes, we are. Uh, we're not perfect, and we, 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 we have our shortcomings from time to time, but for the most part, church has a good reputation. From all the different ministries that we're doing, from how you behave. I just want to encourage you to do that. But it's day by day. Because it's tough out there. The things we're talking about in this one passage alone. The world says if someone hurts you, you hurt them back. We are to look the other way, we are to forgive. We don't let people use us as a doormat. But we have to follow the example of Christ. That's our motivation. I'm just going to sum it it up like this. If you didn't hear anything else I said this morning, it's because how God has acted towards us and continues to act towards us is our motivation. It gives us the desire how we treat each other. Because after all, if I don't treat people like God treats me, as John said, how can the love of God abide in me? I hope you have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Please, if you need to talk or just need to pray, give me a uh, uh, call me, send me a text. I'm always available. Uh, I pray that you will stay safe uh, this coming weekend. They talk about another storm coming in. But I tell you what, all in all, I just want to end with this. I thank God for leaving Forestbrook Baptist Church. Uh, I see a lot of potential. I see things happening. We need to be patient. Because as we continue to move forward, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be obstacles. We need to be patient. Keep praying. And keep following Christ. He is faithful. And he will see us through. Uh, I want to thank each and every one of you for what you're doing. We have a lot of prayer warriors. I thank you for all your prayers. Uh, And be patient. God is still working with me and changing me. And he's still doing the same with you. Let's end in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity this morning. Even though we're not face-to-face seeing each other, we are present with each other in spirit. We thank you for this technology that you have allowed us to have so we can actually see one another even though it's on a screen. Dear God, I thank you for Forrest I thank you for each and every member of means to me and my family. I thank you for your love and your compassion, your humility. And God, may we, be witnesses of that as we live out our lives. Watch over them, God. Keep them safe. Wrap your arms of love and mercy around each one and draw them close to your side. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'll see you later. You have a good afternoon. Stay warm, stay safe, and I will see you then.